It's June 27th, 2006, and you're listening to the NACOcast, coming to you as always from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. My name is Christopher Millard. Well, it's the latter half of June, and here at the Arts Centre, we're celebrating our annual Summer Music Institute. It's a time of education when some very talented musicians, young musicians from all over the world, gather here under the direction of Pinka Zuckerman and the distinguished faculty to work for three weeks playing chamber music, doing master classes, and also, many of them, joining the National Arts Centre Orchestra for a performance on stage. Today, I have asked... Miss Patinka Kopek to come and join me. Now, Patinka is on the faculty of the Manhattan School of Music. She's a close associate of our music director, Pinka Zuckerman, and she is the director of the Summer Music Institute educational program here. She is a violinist and a violist and a very distinguished pedagogue, had many students who have had astounding careers. Patinka, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So your association with Pinka Zuckerman goes back how far? I was uh, 13 and he was 12. He had come from Israel. Uh, uh, he had played for Casals with Astern there and he was invited to come to, to study at the Juilliard Pre-College where I came to study with Dorothy DeLay. And you were among a group of more than, more than just you and Pincus, a group of very talented young Israelis at the time. Yes, I was. Who, who was in that group? Go ahead, drop some names. <laughs> well, the other one was, of course, Itzhak Perlman, mm-hmm. uh, Yossi Kalikstein, Miriam Fried. Yes. We were called the Israeli Mafia. The Israeli Mafia. Even as teenagers, huh? Yes, we were. And were you hellraisers? Or were you just hard, hard workers? Uh, we were hellraisers. <laughs> Talented Hellraisers. So can you describe Pincus to me in short pants, or was that not the case? I keep thinking of these old pictures of these. No. No, 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 okay. The the case that I have a memory of Pincus was, I also was, of course, in the pre-college with him. I was in Meadowman, and my memory of Pincus was in Meadowman, where we all thought he was literally going to fall off the stage. He was playing uh, Pelidium. No, he was playing the prelude of Partida Number 3, and he just couldn't keep still on that stage. And, but the energy. So did you find in, in all those years ago that, that you were tremendous rivals or were you close comrades? Was there a, a, a real battle between you all for supremacy, shall we say? Uh, no, really. Uh, what I, I think Itzhak and Pincus realized very early on that they both had... Uh, big talents, but their styles of playing were so different and temperament was very different. And I think they appreciated each other's differences. Yes. Yeah. Uh, also, actually, if we're talking about that subject, and myself, as far as I was concerned, I played very well, but I was just not at that level and very few are, obviously. There's one Zuckerman and there's one Perlman. There were many wonderful violinists in that area that we are not even mentioning. That were not Israelis. They were from Kurdish, mm-hmm. and and they are in major quartets and have had substantial careers. But so your teacher at the time was Dorothy Delay. Yeah. 
And of course, she had uh, started out as the assistant to Ivan Galamian. For 25 years. 25 years. Several months ago on Nanakocast, and our listeners will remember an interview I did with one of the NACO musicians, Jessica Linneback, and we talked with Jessica about some of the lineage of violin pedagogy and those of, those of, uh, of her acquaintance who were students and grandstudents and great-grandstudents of Dorothy DeLay and Ivan Galamian. What I'm trying to get at here is how, how much all of us who had great educations at some of these great schools cherish the lineage and the, the time we had with our teachers, which takes us to the subject of today's conversation, mm-hmm. which is that you have become, of course, the Dorothy DeLay to your students and passing on these yeah. traditions. So I want to talk a little bit about the work that you do at the Manhattan School, the Pincus Zuckerman performance program there, mm-hmm. how you work together with Pincus, and how you have brought some of the elements of that school design here to the Summer Music Institute at the Art Center. So the first question is, tell me about the Pincus Zuckerman performance program at Manhattan School. How does it work? Who are the students? Well, first of all, it was built under the concept that we would choose very gifted kids that have the potential of, of really having a, a musical career. That doesn't mean a solo career, because the reality is that even though you play very well, it doesn't mean that there's an opportunity for one to have a solo career. But the idea was that we would choose very gifted kids in our program. Uh, Pincus and I, I think, complement each other very, very well because the truth is that everything starts from sound production. And I think what is so distinguished about Pincus is the quality of his sound. And what I, I'm, I'm trying to remember back uh, when we recognized that we would make a good team was in our early years of teaching when he would play a passage and I would analyze for him what he was doing exactly with his bow. And he said, oh, I never thought of it that way. I said, but that's exactly what you're doing. You're, you're placing the bow a certain way. You're using a certain kind of pressure. You're using a certain kind of speed. Uh, and uh, I mean, Pincus is like a sponge. I think initially when Pincus would play, he wouldn't really think think analytically what he was doing. It was so natural for him. I think when he came to Galamian, Galamian started him from very basics. I mean, it's sort of, you know, he was a superstar in Israel. And he just sort of took all that away. Okay, now you're going to start from the very beginning, Kreutzer. And that means how do we produce a good sound? And I think what Pincus found in me is that uh, I was willing to keep at the basics. And if the basics are not well in place, no matter how well your left hand is working, you make the sound from the right hand. Yes, the left hand has to be there for Well, I can see this answers my question completely, where this deep trust between him and you comes from. And the trust manifests itself because he is absent from these students for extensive periods of time, and most of the work is left between you and these students, correct? That's true. Yeah. But that's not to minimize that there, when he is there, what he can do, I cannot do. Because he he's such an amazing musician. But he approaches the music with all the mechanics in place. I can show them what to do with the mechanics. And it isn't that I can't play it. 
But when he plays it, I don't, of course, the, the shapes, the, the, the intentions, and his amazing knowledge of music as a whole, not just the instrument, but he brings into it his experience as a conductor, as a chamber music player. And as a performer on stage, I, I always will say to the kids, you know, I can just show you so much, but Pincus is the one that's on that stage playing that concerto. And the extraordinary thing about him is that uh, even at his age, in his late 50s, his, his, the whole physiology of his playing remains incredibly healthy. Yeah. Absolutely. The whole, the ball, I, I have seen him give master classes, and I, I find it extraordinary. Your description of him being very intuitive, unthinking as a child, of course, and then going to a great teacher who really forced him to deal with all these basic yes. issues. What we have now is somebody who is absolutely patient and determined to get back to the most basic geometry of the human body. This whole week. Yeah. That's what he's doing, you know. We so start. so uh, describe to us what's going on. You have uh, how many violin students, uh, violin and viola students do we have here at the center this, this week? Okay, we have 16 violinists. Mm-hmm. We have eight violas and we have eight cellists. And the reason we have those numbers is that we can also... Oh, and we have four pianists. Yes. Uh, so that we can divide the groups into quartets into quintets, into trios, and we've sort of found the balance. And I have felt uh, that it was really very important not to get larger than this, and we have kept these numbers. Now, this is our eighth year. And that if we have a small number like that, though we've added now through the years, wins. Uh, But as far as I'm concerned, in terms of the strings, we have the ability to get to know everyone. So the the vehicle for instruction at this point is largely specific uh, assignments in chamber music. Well, no, not only chamber. It's chamber music. It's and it's one to one lessons. Mm-hmm. Uh, where and then there is master classes. Now that we have the wind, we Pincus is conducting a chamber orchestra. We have the Oberon that's going to be performed in the end of the month. And that has been his dream is to really, I mean, he wants to create this whole institute, of course, and and that is uh, to, to have a well-rounded chamber orchestra. Most of the students are in their early 20s, am I correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We have a junior and a senior session. We have a few seniors that are under 18, but most of them are 18 to 25. That's our top. I mean, we've certainly had kids older than that, but the truth is that there is a there's always room for learning. But you know, the the kids that come to us really are going to be professionals, and hopefully by the time they're 25, they are out of school, and they are looking for positions. Patty, it's very interesting when you say the kids here are are going to be professionals, professionals, and you say it categorically, as you know. Uh, if you look at the broad range of graduates of music schools throughout the world, uh, most recent study was done at Juilliard, and a famous, a famous uh, study that was done about how many end up selling insurance or doing something else. Is it your sense that you have handpicked a group here that these these are the ones who really will achieve success? No, we no. never know that. You never know. No, you never know. Uh, and and sometimes the ones who don't make it into these programs can equally find their way into success. It's Absolutely. Very, it's very, very hard to, to judge talent at certain levels, isn't it? Or, or, or judge how talent will manifest itself in terms of success. I think that's a better way of saying it, how exactly. talent would manifest itself. I have one of the things that I've also started at Manhattan is a, you know, a program in teaching kids how to teach. Mm-hmm. Because when you say that I am, uh, you know, I mean, 
following in the footsteps of Mr. Lay, and I take that as a huge compliment, uh, because she was not just my violin teacher. She really, she was a mentor as a human being, very much caring, and uh, mm -hmm. that's crucial. When, you, when I choose a student, and I'm not saying that I always choose the ones that I eventually, where the chemistry works, and what I mean by that is that uh, Yes, I can teach anybody to, to certain basic skills, to how to play the instrument, but I feel I want to get much more involved in the human being of that person. And if they don't make it as performers in an orchestra or solos or chamber music, they have to have their basic skills. They can make it as teachers. Yes. And 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 we need an audience, and that means that you can teach people to play the instrument, and they may not make it as a profession, but they're going to love music, mm -hmm. and they are going to be our audience. Yeah. Patty, talk a bit about the whole uh, set of disciplines in studying a string instrument. Most young players like to envision themselves standing up and playing Beethoven concerto with an orchestra. And as you said earlier, the reality is that only a very, very small select number will have success. The luckier ones will find themselves careers in, in, in orchestras. At what point in the education of the average young violinist is the uh, orchestral discipline becoming uh, a primary part of the, of the study program? I will preface, or I'll add to that, my comment that as a woodwind player, I've, um, in my studies from the very early earliest time I can remember, in addition to the basics of learning to play and certain amount of solo repertoire, it was really grilled into us that we were looking for certain conventions in our playing, certain stylistic norms, uh, understanding of what were the kinds of attributes in our playing that would help us find success auditioning and gaining positions in orchestras. One has the sense that in string playing, this happens later in the study. In other words, that the first few years of study, well, obviously string playing requires a much deeper and longer basis of preparation just to get the mechanics. What do you do in your own work with students to help them begin to focus on learning the huge amount of repertoire that's necessary to have success finding a job in a symphony? Okay, but I want to retract back a little bit because I feel that one of the things that I actually love to do is I love to teach young kids. Yes. Okay, not just when they're 18, because if they get a basic good foundation, and that doesn't mean beginners. I know how to teach beginners, but it's something that I, at least at this point I don't have to do, and I feel that's not where I should spend my time. But I always keep at least eight or nine young kids in the pre-college uh, at Manhattan, I was an assistant at Juilliard for Mr. Lay in the pre-college. What, what do I want to say with that? When I see a gifted child in the pre-college that I have chosen, I make sure two things, that at the same time, that while they are studying their mechanics of the violin, they have to play chamber music. That means they're immediately learning how to listen to other people and to understand that they are just one voice. So whether they, you know, so if they're going to learn the concerto, they have to learn to listen to the orchestra or to the piano part. In chamber music, they immediately learn to listen. They learn to blend. 
So that is already a mini orchestra, right? To a- play. A- absolutely. <laughs> and that's the first year. I'll introduce and I'll encourage, first of all, in all pre-college programs, they all have to do chamber and not chamber music, but they all have to do orchestra anyway. Sometimes if I feel that once mechanics are not yet in place, I will ask the director, please leave him out of orchestra. Why? Because if I'm trying to fix certain things in their playing, the repetition of playing in orchestra, you're reinforcing bad habits instead of trying to, for two hours, to reinforce good habits. And is that because it's so difficult in a large group, all playing the same thing, to distinguish and to be self-critical? Absolutely. Okay. That's exactly why. So, uh, But as soon as that's fixed, I think they have to play in orchestra. So does that mean in your individual work with students that you will actually work on orchestral material with them? No. I feel that I am not... Uh, I, look, that's not where my strengths are. I can work the mechanics of, 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 of making them play the piece well in yes. tune, uh, getting the notes, getting the time. But I think one of the things that I have learned from watching enough uh, pros that do that I in orchestra is that one should not be very musical that it is much more important just to be in time in tune uh, dynamics intonation I, I said already actually intonation and that I feel that if I was to coach them I would I would probably also get involved in 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 being expressive and I'm being told and watching uh, these uh, orchestral auditions, and I, I really went to watch some, that uh, just play what's on the page and don't edit anything that's individual. Well, I know that Pinkus Zuckerman has a, a real dream of developing the kind of uh, environment in, in which the best of the young uh, string players can f- find their way into orchestral discipline through apprenticeship programs. Now, I understand that there are a number of orchestras in Europe who are in the in the last few years have have started to initiate apprenticeship programs wherein students sit in with the orchestra either for rehearsals and in some cases for concerts. Yeah. And I th- yes, th- there's one in Berlin. I believe that Daniel Birnbaum started, and I think initially, I, I, forgive me if I'm wrong. I think Carrion had may have started that program a long time ago, and I think that Pink is recognizing how important it is because he's a conductor that. We may be training all these wonderful violinists to play their instrument very well, but how many of them will be soloists? A handful. And in fact, we do have a a touch of this in the Summer Music Institute. Yes, we do. Tell me about that. We have a program that's going to start in January, but the students already took their audition uh, last week. and they, they, it was absolutely set up as a professional audition in front of a committee. And we had, I believe, two kids were chosen to, to participate. One uh, is going to be uh, a graduate student at Yale. And I don't know where the cellist came from, maybe Curtis. Okay. And they're going to be their their first uh, preparation for uh, for this program. They're going to have a concert, I believe, in a week, uh, where they're going to do Beethoven's Fifth and Tchaikovsky. 
and Tchaikovsky. And Tchaikovsky's fourth. With fourth. the NAC Orchestra, the, the NAC. first week of July. So I hope yes. our listeners will, will have an extra reason yes, to come into some of those concerts in the first two weeks of July here at Southern Hall, because you will see on stage with, with NACO a few of these younger musicians who have demonstrated uh, real interest and ability in learning from their professional peers. That leads me to the whole subject of, of how we begin to to uh, set up this apprenticeship program. It's still very much in the formative stages. And, of course, as you well understand, the musicians are in the NAC orchestra are very sensitive to making sure that we maintain the artistic integrity of the orchestra and that, as you mentioned, there were auditions held under formal audition circumstances. So we're very cognizant of, of our responsibility to help out young musicians and at the same time to honour our... Uh, our audiences to make sure that what we're delivering them is at our is at our usual level. Yes, and what what the what we propose, and I don't mean me, but I think the way they hope the program will run is that these students, starting in January, will uh, we will work with the schools to allow them to come f- uh, during the spring program. I think one week uh, in uh, each month. To, to participate and go through the rehearsals and do a performance. Exactly, exactly. Well, we're all looking forward to that. It's the fruits of your labors with Pincus and yes. coming to an ultimate culmination. So the program uh, will conclude then uh, with chamber music concerts at the end of this week. Right. Uh, we're going to have a concert on the 28th and the 30th where the kids are going to be playing chamber music, but they're also going to be doing the performance uh, with Pink is conducting the Oberon, the chamber orchestra. And details of this will be available on the National Arts Centre website for those of our listeners who are interested. Patty, I, I can't wait to hear some of these young people play. Mm-hmm. I know I've had the fortune in the last week and a half of working with some of the young wind players, and they're very promising, and I would love to hear what's going on with the quartets mm-hmm. and the piano trios and yes. all that. I want to thank you very much for coming in today, and I want to thank you especially for your ongoing participation here at the National Arts Centre. Thank you very much. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. I've been speaking with Patty Kopek, Patinka Kopek, who is the director of the Summer Music Institute here at the National Arts Centre. I really enjoyed having Patty Kopek coming in the studio. It's great to see such a committed and energetic teacher. One of the things that I did not mention, and I would like to mention now for the sake of our listeners of NACOCAS, you may wonder how Pinka Sukuman is able to keep in touch with his students with his busy performing schedule. One of the things he does is rely on technology. The Manhattan School of Music has what they call their Distant Learning Center. And in conjunction with the Hexagon program of the New Media Center here at the National Arts Center Orchestra, Pincus is able to give his students in New York lessons while he's in Ottawa using broadband technology. You probably heard these words bandied about. What it really means is that using broadband or high data rate transmission on the internet, Pincus is able to sit in the Hexagon studio downstairs at the National Arts Centre and observe a student on a television screen on a closed circuit broadcast from wherever, in this case the Manhattan School of Music, and that student is able to watch Pincus on a television screen with sound, and the two can interact almost as well as if they're in the same room together. So Pincus is a great advocate of new technologies and is a daily proponent of them here at the Arts Centre.
Before Patty Kopek left the studio, she said, Chris, please play some music. I said, Patty, what do you want? She says, Mozart, of course, it's Mozart's anniversary. So to celebrate Mozart's anniversary, but mostly to celebrate the value of chamber music in the education of young string players, here's Patty's choice of music. It's the first movement of Mozart's great string quintet, K516, featuring Pinka Zuckerman and the Zuckerman chamber players. Thank you. 
As usual, at the end of these NACOcasts, I ask you to send your comments and questions, and I really do mean it. We love hearing from you. We get a lot of emails, and some of our programs are built upon suggestions from the audience. Love to hear your ideas and thoughts, suggestions for programming even. Anyway, you can reach us by sending an email to NACOcast at gmail.com. I absolutely assure you we'll read everything we get. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this and all the NAC podcasts by visiting nac.ca slash podcasts, where you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Search on NACOcast. So until next week, this is Christopher Millard saying goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.